And if you don't mind, just for a second, there's a little flyer that looks like this in your bulletin, in your communicator. Pull that out because next week we're going to start a brand new series called Think. And the subtitle is Renewing Our Mind and Learning to Change Our Thoughts. And, and so I, I, we're going to do a series over the next month about what is happening up here in our brains. And, we, and that's actually one area of your life that you have complete, utter control over. Nobody else can change your thinking but you do have the ability to change your own thinking as we are saying, God, we want, we want to dive in and we want to renew this thing and have our minds line up with Jesus. And so the, the series itself is based off Philippians 4, 8, whatever is good, righteous, pure, think on these things. So we're going to dive into that over the next four weeks. It's going to be a great series and the reason why we print these is not for you, but it's for you to be able to give this to a friend or neighbor that, um, as an invitation. So, and then today, we are finishing these, this series, and um, last week I, I missed you guys. I was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Monday, we officially signed about 100 pieces of paper, and we signed officially sold our home. I want you to know that there's people that have been praying for like every single week or every single day for the last year that this house would sell and it, it finally happened. So thank you. But um, I, I, uh, I, I used to own this house that, I love that, used to own this house that was uh, about two miles from uh, the church that I was leading as the lead pastor there uh, called the Baton Rouge Vineyard Church, and I went there this last Sunday, and as I was there, I, get, I saw these people that I had pastored for, for eight years, and I got to hug people and say hi to people, and as I'm, there was, it was one lady goes, this is like a receiving line at a wedding, because people were just waiting to hug me, and it was one of those moments, though, that was actually very um, life-giving for me, because I realized that my heart was here, and I love them, and I miss them, but my heart was here in San Dimas, the San Gabriel Valley, and so I'm so glad to be back. Thank you guys for praying that our house would sell, and that it did, and so I just, I'm, I'm grateful to be back, and I really, I missed you last Sunday. I heard Ken did awesome, though. Good job, Ken. Yeah, so today we're going to finish off this series, and we've been looking at this, the smallest letter from Paul. Uh, it's, it's just one chapter. It's not, it doesn't even have two chapters. Um, and today I want to look at this idea of lasting reconciliation, the very heart and core of what Paul's talking about here. So two little brothers, their names were Henry and James. They finished dinner and they were playing until Henry hit James pretty hard with a stick. And then from that point they got in this big squabble, fighting back and forth, all the way until bedtime. And um, even at, at bedtime, they're like, their accusations are flying, and they're, they're bringing up stuff from the past, and they're, they're just bickering back and forth. And finally, mom just says, okay, it's enough. You've got to settle this. You've got to bury the hatchet. Let it go. We need peace. Um, and so then she said, James, before you go to bed, Henry hit you with a stick. You're going to have to forgive your brother. And James thought for a minute. And then he said to his mom, okay, 
I'll forgive him tonight, but if I don't die before I wake, he better look out in the morning. <laughs> this is a true story. I don't know about you, but uh, in my life, there's been many moments where I've done the exact same. We've, we move towards reconciliation a little bit, but our hearts don't follow. Like, we've, we haven't been able to fully say yes. And today, I think a lot of us, here's a little hatchet, um, a lot of us, we want to bury the hatchet, and my dad used to use this phrase a lot, like, I had four siblings, bury the hatchet, like, let it go, bring peace between you and your siblings. And so, dad would always say, bury the hatchet. Well, you know what so many Christians do? We bury the head of the hatchet, but we leave the handle up for easy access in our lives. At any given moment, it's so accessible because we, <laughs> we don't fully bury this thing. And so I want to talk about what the potential is in Christ for lasting reconciliation. Lasting reconciliation. So uh, Jesus came to this earth not only to bring together and reconcile that vertical relationship between us and God, but also that horizontal relationship between Jews and Gentiles and slave and free and male and female. And I always liken it to the cross because there's two beams of the cross. There's that vertical that in my brain, it, it symbolized that relationship with God. It's, it's us and God and there can be reconciliation there. But there's also this cross beam that Jesus' hands were nailed to. And on that cross beam, that's this horizontal, and in my brain, I always think of that's the, the relational component on this earth. We are called to reconcile, not just with God, but because we've re reconciled with God, and God's forgiven us and given us grace and mercy, we extend that to the rest of the world. That's the potential of the gospel. So, here's Ephesians 2.14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Okay, so this is my last Sunday in the sh Paul's shortest letter. Uh, Paul's writing from prison to a guy named Philemon. And so, um, and he's writing to Philemon about Onesimus a runaway slave who has become a dear son to Paul, spiritually and physically to Paul. And you don't get this feeling as you're reading this, this short letter that Paul is consciously writing scripture. You get the idea that he's writing just to a friend. It's a sweet letter. Imagine Paul when he wrote this letter. He's an old man in prison writing a letter to a friend about a brand new friend. That's what we kind of have, that's, what, that's the way it reads. And I like this letter because Paul seems happy. And as I get older myself, you know, I'm 44, I turned 45 this fall, I love to see men who are older, wiser, more fatherly, and more friendly as they get older instead of less. Have you noticed that? I've been known some really grumpy old men. Really? And, but I love when I see people, and I, when I read this letter, I see Paul. Like, there's joy in Paul in this letter. There's, he's in prison, and yet 
he has so much to be thankful for. He's, he's not complaining. He's going to bat for this runaway slave. There's something really sweet about this le- letter. So whatever happiness Paul had did not come easy. And it was tied to his powerful encounter with Jesus. Before Paul met Jesus, Paul's religion made him very edgy. You guys remember bef- before he was, his name was Saul, and his religion made him edgy. It was, he was defensive about the perceived negative influences of this new sect called Christianity on his faith, Judaism. And so he viewed himself as a guardian trying to protect Judaism from this new group of people calling themselves Christians. He was unhappy, angry, focused on the sin of others as toxic religion tends to do, making him blind to his own sin. Decades later, we have an affectionate, warm, heart on on his sleeve, Paul. Heart on his sleeve, Paul. And even though he's old in prison, he's happy. What's the difference? What was the difference in Paul's life? Paul encountered Jesus, and he had years and years of the influence of the Holy Spirit upon his soul. The contrast between young Paul and older Paul, young Saul, older Paul, um, it's really good to keep that in mind. Really good to keep that in mind. So we live in this controversy-soaked world where Christianity has become a matter of issues and positions and politics. And when this happens, we get, when that happens in your heart and life, we're filled with anxiety over, over bad influences and our Sin focus is externalized to others, and anger is crouching at the door. Uh, If this is happening to you, it's like a warning light on your dashboard of your life. The warning light is that you're missing Jesus in the field of religion. You're missing the most important thing that you could ever think about. You're missing Jesus himself. Okay, and so it's so important to get this thing. So the prophets and the New Testament, did you guys know that the mark of the Spirit of God is joy? Joy is actually a synonym for the Spirit. Christians used to ask each other, are you happy in God? That's a great question. Are you happy in God? Is your relationship with God having an, an effect that's, in, that's influencing our entire being? Are we that way? Now, little Sarah asked her gram- grandmother how she felt, and Grandma said, I feel fine. And Sarah asked, and, and just so you know, this was a serious little girl. She wasn't being rude or disrespectful to her grandmother, but Grandma said, I feel fine. And the little Sarah asked, well, if you feel so good, why don't you tell your face that? <laughs> Which, I mean, that, that's pretty good, right? George Mueller, who cared for thousands of orphans, he said, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in God. My soul happy in God. Which leads us to Paul's response for this letter. Uh, He's writing to help Onesimus, a runaway slave, reconcile with Philemon, his master. And so two weeks ago, we looked at how Paul's letter was used perversely to support slavery, and why this reading fails to understand Paul's historical context. 
And about a month ago, I said, if you are here and you really want a resource to understand his, the historical context, one of the very best I've found, one volume uh, for the New Testament is Craig Keener's The IVP Bible Background Commentary. Um, this is not a commentary on the text itself. It's a commentary on the background to every single verse. So you look up Matthew 12, 9, and it gives you the, the historical context in which Paul is writing in, okay? Um, or which the gospel writers are writing, okay? So this is really important stuff, and we have a whole box of them if, if you're still interested. Um, so, um, within a world that couldn't yet imagine its, its existence apart from slavery, Paul is involved in the Messiah's project, and the Messiah's project is called Reconciliation. Second uh, Corinthians 5.19 said, For God was in Christ reconciling the word, world to himself, and we are messengers, you and I are messengers of reconciliation. Now, great liberators understood this. Overturning oppressive structures is difficult. It's really hard. Um, did you know that reconciliation is even harder than overturning oppressive structures? Do you know why? Because you're dealing with the heart. And for the heart to get on board, it's a whole different thing. So MLK wasn't just about ending Jim Crow. He was about reconciliation. Black and white seeing each other. In South Africa, Nelson Mandela wasn't just about overturning apartheid. He was about having oppressors realize that they oppressed people and bringing reconciliation between those groups. And that was what their, they call it the Reconciliation Commission. And Desmond Tutu, that's what he was all about. Bringing people together to see each other, forgive one another, and really be reconciled at the very core to stop that cycle of vengeance in our lives. So MLK, Nelson Mandela, they had a spiritual vision like Paul's focused on the power of reconciliation. So here is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The old way of doing religion is about dividing and separating and purifying by exclusion. And Jesus is about something else. He's about reconciling the world, making friends of enemies, neighbors of strangers. An affection-driven God, missing his lost kids, going after them to reconcile them to each other and then to themselves. That's the Jesus project. Reconciliation with God and reconciliation with each other. And anybody who follows Jesus gets to inherit this project. This is like a me and you thing. This is us thing. This is our project together. So Paul's in prison. He's a part of the Roman Empire with no democratic process whatsoever. He has no power to overturn slavery. So he uses his spiritual power, which, by the way, is deeper and calls for reconciliation in Philemon. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Philemon. It's one page, and we're going to read um, 
about eight to ten verses there. So here's Philemon uh, verse 9b. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. Verse 13. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And then verse 17. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done anything to wrong you or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So the first step in reconciliation is to see with new eyes. To see with new eyes, which we talked about two weeks ago, didn't we? It's to see people that we would normally not see. Do you know how often we are blind to the people around us? We're not opening our hearts to people around us. And Paul regards Onesimus as a dear son, which we talked two weeks ago, how, how very important and countercultural that was 2,000 years ago. Now he invites Philemon to see him as a brother, a fellow human being, not a slave. Not a slave any longer. See Onesimus with brand new eyes. He is no longer a slave for you. See him differently than you ever have before. So step one in reconciliation, to have God open your eyes. And I pray this a lot. I pray, God, help me actually see people. And sometimes I feel like God has done that for me in certain situations that I see people, and I've been in stores, or I've been walking around the block, and, like, my heart sometimes just, like, goes out, and I start to tear up because I'm, I see somebody that I've never saw before. I'm actually saying they are a person created in God's image, and they are loved by God, and God loves them enough to die for them. And all of a sudden, it like quickens my heart to the reality that, that these are like God's kids all over the place that we're called to connect with and love and embrace. So number one step in reconciliation, see with new eyes. Number two, second step in reconciliation, receive those you might not otherwise. Paul urges Philemon who has a major complaint against Onesimus. And I want you to know that um, no mercy was shown to runaway slaves. This would, this would completely upset the social order 2,000 years ago. So Paul urges Philemon, who has a major complaint against Onesimus, to receive him as Philemon would receive Paul. Uh, Paul was Philemon's spiritual father. So to receive Onesimus... Don't receive him as a lowly slave. Receive him as a better, as you would me, Paul. 
receive those you would not normally otherwise. What does that look like in your life and in my life? Receive them. Have a heart that's open to them. Okay? And the third step in reconciliation is cancel any debts. Cancel any debts. Paul ensures that Onesimus isn't penalized in any way. Paul says, charge it to my account. Charge it to me. If he owes you anything, charge it to me. Which is huge, isn't it? A runaway slave would be not only beaten, but most likely killed. Okay? And Paul's saying, he doesn't owe you a single thing. Treat him as an equal. Actually, as a better, treat him as you would me, Paul. So, um, we're going to watch a movie clip from a movie called Remember the Titans. It's based off a true story. Um, Virginia high school football team dealing with racial segregation in 1971. Uh, it's based off a true story. It's there's a black student and a white student where their first time to get, they're attending the high school for the first time together. There's been this mandatory integration. Uh, Gary is a white athlete, and Julius is a ba- black athlete, and they exhibit overt racism towards each other. Um, and they're at this two-week-long football summer camp, and Gary and Julius are forced to be together in the same room. Uh, Julius puts his poster on the wall of some black athletes winning the Olympics. And uh, and Gary's like, get that thing down. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to look at that for two weeks. And, and then they get into this big fight. Um, and over time, they become friends. They become friends. And, um, and then after the Titans win the national, the regional championship, Gary gets in a, the white guy gets in a serious car accident, and he leaves uh, the accident. He's paralyzed from the waist down. Uh, Gary, his only request is to see Julius. So let's watch this scene. It's about three minutes long. It won't go on. Okay, we tested it earlier, but if you get it, uh, tell me. Okay, we're going to continue on because we can't get it right now. <laughs> Never mind, I should have skipped that whole thing. No, I, it's good. <laughs> so here's the part that I want to bring out. Um, so we're, we're, no, okay. So the nurse, so here you have Gary, this white guy that's in a hospital bed, paralyzed from the waist down. And these two guys are the all-star athletes, right? Um, and the nurse says to Julius, Get, there's only, only relationships, only, only kin are allowed in the room right now. And you know what Gary says? Gary says, it's all right. Can't you see the family resemblance? <laughs> He's my brother. He's my brother. Now, something happened, something changed in, in this relationship, but something also changed spiritually. And um, that is exactly what Paul is calling Philemon to do, what, this, what we were going to watch in this film. 
you see all three steps in this movie of reconciliation in this film. It's as if they took a lesson from Paul. And I want you to know that Paul got this lesson at an earlier time in his life. He's not just spitting this letter out to Philemon about this runaway slave. Guess what? Paul's actually reaching back in his own history, and he's saying, this is what the risen Jesus did for me. So this is the second time that it's coming around in Paul's life, for sure. Maybe it happened more. But Paul is reenacting a lesson that he experienced at his conversion. Okay? So his theology of reconciliation was derived from his experience of reconciliation brought to him by the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. So the first thing is, see people with new eyes. Remember, this is what we saw in the book of Philemon, but now we see it back earlier in Paul's life. Jesus says, Saul, on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, what are you talking about, Lord? I'm doing you a favor. I'm excluding these bad influences. And Jesus says, no, you're not. These are my people. And Paul says, I think he said, my bad. I was blind. Okay? So that's, in, that's my John paraphrase version, Acts 9, 3 through 5. So here's what happened to Paul. Paul could not see God's new people, nor could God's people see Paul. And all of a sudden, Paul is able to see this new group in a brand new way. Two, receive those you might not otherwise. After Saul had his vision, one that blinded him, thus revealing his spiritual blindness to himself, God sent Ananias, one of the people Saul was actually persecuting to receive Paul. Ananias was like, you're kidding. And God was like, no, go receive this guy. Are you sure, God? Yes. Ananias did. He laid hands on his enemy Saul, and Paul's eyes opened to see. That's uh, Acts 9, 17 through 19. And what we see here is spiritual power. God is saying that there's power in reconciliation. And number three, cancel their debts. Do you know that Paul had a great debt? He ruined many lives. Paul was an accessory to murder in Stephen's life. He excluded people unjustly from the synagogue. People suffered because of his zeal. Christians suffered because of his zeal. He had a debt he couldn't repay. And the people he harmed did not hold out against him. He was forgiven and any debt was canceled. Ananias canceled the debt. He was willing to pray for this guy named Saul. Now that's now Paul. And don't we love to hold on debts? Humanity, and like, it's almost like part of culture. Like, we love to hold on to debts. Uh, you know, in my past, I used to collect debts. I remember there was one time I was seven years old, and I collected this debt from when I was seven. For got, I rode this for years. But it was my dad got this new Ford F-150 truck. It was orange. And he had it pulled into the garage, and in front of the garage, in front of the truck, there was a ladder that went up into a loft. And so um, 
my dad saw footprints on the top of his new orange truck. And he said, John, why did you do this? Because it looked like I, it looked like somebody got up on the hood of his truck, walked across it, and then went up the ladder. And so I was like, Dad, I didn't do this. And my dad said, don't lie to me, and he gave me a big spanking of my life. Okay, I didn't do it. This is the one time where I was innocent. <laughs> okay, one time I was innocent. And so I was like, there's no way that that footprint is mine. So I took my shoe off. I literally took my shoe off, and I put it up there, and I said, Dad, see how big this shoe is? And my shoe's little. And then my dad realized that it was my older brother. <laughs> and guess what? My dad, in that moment, he's like, I'm so sorry, John. I'm so sorry. Now, all the other times, I deserved it 100%, but <laughs> that time, my dad owed me. And guess what? I reminded him of that <laughs> over and over. I got time, love, affection, even things. I remember dad, like, dad, do you remember when you guys gave me that spanking? I, I would like another ice cream cone. And, <laughs> and he actually responded. I don't know why he did. It was very manipulative on my part. But, um, but I held on to that for years. So why do we think that we can keep the debts of others. Why do we keep debts? Uh, do you know what Jesus said about debts? Put it on my account. Put it on my account. That's what Paul did, and Paul found himself free. Paul says, I was the worst of all sinners. And Jesus says, put it on my, put it on my account. Followers of Jesus are called to reenact this thing over and over and over again. The ministry of reconciliation. See people with new eyes. Receive those you don't want to receive and cancel their debts. See people with new eyes. See people with new eyes. Really see them. Receive those people that you don't want to receive and cancel debts. You know, whenever we talk about signs and wonders of the kingdom, keep in mind that one of the greatest signs of the kingdom of God is when people who are very different from each other Different ages, different races, different social economic backgrounds, different cultures, preferences, levels of education. We see them coming together, loving each other, forgiving each other, praying for one another, and worshiping together. One of the greatest signs of the kingdom. That's one of the signs of heaven invading earth today. Because that's what the future is going to be. Broke, when broken people and messed up people and people that have been hurt and they're holding on to all these debts, and they're willing to come together and love each other and forgive each other and pray together and worship together, heaven invades earth, guys. That's God's kingdom breaking in to my life and your life. So I have one last story, and then we're going to do some ministry time. And if you're here and you need some prayer, we'd love to pray for you this morning. But um, I went to the National Vineyard Conference maybe like a month and a half ago. It was in Denver, Colorado. We took some of our staff with. And I went there, and the first night there, uh, we're in this lobby. Okay, this lobby's massive. It's one of those, you know, five, 10,000 seat type things. Maybe 5,000 members. But so the, the, the lobby, the cafe, is larger than this room here, right? So we're there, and I'm by the door, and I, I see a guy that I have not seen in 
18, 19 years. And his name was Dave Heinrich. Now, Dave Heinrich, um, at my first church plant in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Dave Heinrich was the lead pastor on Sunday morning. And I was, I planted this church. It was a Saturday night church, but we were using his building. We had, the, uh, the Saturday night church had, we had our own governing board. We had our own, uh, we had all of our own stuff, but yet we were kind of, and we paid rent to Sunday morning. Dave Heinrich was a senior pastor Sunday morning. I was a senior pastor at the Saturday night church. Well, Dave Heinrich's vineyard church split in half. Okay, bad, it didn't, things weren't going well. And our Saturday night church kept growing. And after about two and a half years, the Saturday night church was like eight times larger than Sunday morning. We had 300 plus people and lots of energy and, and everything was going really well. And Dave, the Sunday morning lead guy, he seized our, our church bank account. And then he tried to fire me, and I said, well, how do you fire me? You can't fire me. And this big thing all erupted, and I got really hurt. I got really hurt, because this is something I had given my life to about three plus years and it was something that the Holy Spirit was really kissing there was there was like this amazing thing that was happening and um, and I didn't know what to do and my father-in-law called me and said John I had this I was just praying for you and Kate and I had this picture I remembered the two women that came to Solomon with the baby and they both said it was their baby and Solomon said okay cut the baby in half and the mom was said, no, 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 give it to the other woman. And, and he said, I remember this story, like it kind of came to mind as I was praying for you. And after he said that to me, I realized what I had to do. I had to give up my church plant in order for it to continue. I, ha I knew that I had to. I knew that if I kept fighting... It was all going to come crumbling down. And so I gave this baby up, this church plant up. Um, and, and Dave actually had part of his team that, that um, came in, and I was very gracious. I said nothing about this whole thing to the church itself. But I, I backed away, and, but my heart got super hurt. And Dave was the focus point of all that. So guess what? At the National Conference, six week, five, six weeks ago, I walk in and I see Dave Heinrich in the lobby. And do you know what my response was? I saw, no, I want you to know over the last 18 years, I've dealt, I've, I've dealt with this thing. I've taken it before God with prayer. I've said, God, I want to know you in the middle of this. Um... I asked God for healing and restoration, and I saw Dave Heinrich across the room. I had not, like, I have not seen him in, in 18 years since that happened. And I saw him, and I weaved through the crowd, and I ran to him, and I gave him the biggest hug in the world. And I want you to know that it was only possible because of the power of reconciliation, because of God in my life. 
And I, to be honest, I did not, I had no clue how my heart was going to respond. And I thought I would never, ever see Dave again in my life, ever. I mean, he left the vineyard movement, and uh, there was so much toxicity in his life and heart. And so when I saw him, and we talked, and he's like, John, I, I'm so glad I saw you. I'm, I'm so sorry for everything that happened in my past. And, and we just caught up, and we talked like two friends that missed each other over a long, long time. But guess what? It took me some deep, it took me like digging in deep. I had to be able to see Dave, first of all, as a person created in God's image, somebody that I was willing to actually see that God was willing, even though he hurt me super bad, I had to be able to see that God was willing to die for him. And next, I had to be able to receive him. And then guess what I had to do? I had to cancel the debts. I had to cancel the debt because I thought Dave owed me the world, guys. Right? And I had to cancel the debts. So practical tips. Number one, are you in a position of authority? Are you a boss, a manager, employer, uh, owner? Uh, listen to your employees. See them with new eyes. Receive them as God sees them. This is an important one. So if you're in a position of authority in our community, see your people that work for you. See the people that you manage. Listen to your employees. See them with new eyes. Receive them as God receives them. Yes, you're still their boss, but take a step towards them. Cancel a debt. Don't hold them to everything that they owe you. Does that make sense? Okay, number two. Here's a way to open a dialogue with someone that you need to reconcile with. And I've used this many times in my life, and it actually really works. And the reason why it works is because it opens a dialogue. All you need to do is say something like this. I need to ask for your forgiveness for holding bitterness or anger in my heart towards you. And so anybody that's socially aware at all, their response is, oh, we should talk about that. Oh, I didn't know that I hurt you. Oh, Let's sit down and have a conversation. Uh, this breaks down barriers and creates a space for a heart connection with them. Okay? So that's a good little one-liner um, when you need to, like, figure out how do, how do I make amends? How do I, how do I bring up a hurt, this pain that I haven't been able to let go, that I'm still holding on to this debt? How do I do that? Um, ultimately, you're going to have to say something like this and say let's let's seek reconciliation what does it look like and this opens up a dialogue to that and number three if you guys could stand we're going to do this together but I also want you to practice this in your own life uh, take a minute now and open your heart up to the spirit of God and listen be alert to a nudge in the direction of reconciliation to see somebody with new eyes, to move towards and receive rather than away from them, to step back from the need to hold something against them and cancel a debt. So the question is, is there a step that you're called to take in the direction of reconciliation right now in your life? So let's take a minute of silence and let's be open to God's Spirit speaking to us. We've talked plenty 
let's just listen just for a moment, okay? Jesus, we're going to take your word seriously. We're going to be people that see others. We're going to be people that receive others, and we're going to be people that are willing to cancel debts. And now the people that you've put on our hearts that we're called to seek reconciliation in our lives towards, I pray that we would be people that take action and move towards them, that we're willing to see them, move towards them, and cancel those debts. So help us be that kind of people that take action, where we're not just hearers of your word, but we're doers of your word here. Help us do that with everything within us. We need you, Jesus, now. Yeah, we need you, Jesus. Let's sing the song together, and in a minute we'll have our prayer team come on up. But let's just sing part of this song, and then um, then we'll have our prayer team come on up. Let's sing. Draw. 